This is Unorthodox, the universe's leading Jewish podcast. It's me, Stephanie Butnick. You'll hear from my co-host Leah Leibowitz later in the episode, but not Mark Oppenheimer, who's on tour for his new book, Squirrel Hill. Hanukkah is Sunday, November 28th, right after Thanksgiving. And frankly, I'm relieved that there's some daylight between Hanukkah and Christmas this year. We're here today to tell you Hanukkah is not Jewish Christmas. It is not the Jewish analog to Santa and elves. It's not even considered one of the most important Jewish holidays to many people. But it could be. That's because it's also not just a holiday about oil lasting eight crazy nights. The real story of Hanukkah is a fight against assimilation. Those Maccabees we celebrate were battling forces from outside and within who wanted us to hide our Judaism, who wanted us to assimilate into Greek culture, who wanted us to be less particular, less distinct. Here's the real story of Hanukkah. When Alexander the Great conquered Jerusalem all the way back in 332 BCE, the Greeks saw their culture as superior to all other cultures, including the Jews with their strange customs. More than 100 years later, Antiochus, the ruler of Jerusalem, starts to crack down on Jewish practices. At the same time, some of the Jews decide that they want to fit in with the wider culture. These Jews, known as Hellenizers, start to make changes to Jewish practice, doing away with certain rituals like circumcision. It all comes to a head in 167 BCE at this big public ceremony where a Jewish Hellenizer is about to make a sacrifice to Zeus to show everyone that the Hellenizers are ready to no longer be Jews. A Jewish priest named Mattathias attacks and kills the Jewish Hellenizers, igniting a revolt against Antiochus and a Jewish civil war, which he and his sons, the Maccabees, eventually win. That's where we get the rededication of the temple in Jerusalem and the oil that lasts eight nights. So Hanukkah is actually about these religious zealots standing up for their rituals, their faith, and their values. They were basically refusing to assimilate, and they won. That's the Hanukkah lesson we're celebrating this year, to be loudly and proudly Jewish. Which is why today we are here to say, don't you dare call it Jewish Christmas. We have a very special show for you featuring interviews with comedian Judy Gold and cookbook author Jake Cohen, new Hanukkah music from Ladino singer Sarah Arawesi and musician Jeremiah Lockwood, plus the Instagram account Hanukkah Fails, which documents the worst of seasonal holiday merchandise. Make sure you stick around to the end of the show when you'll find out about our Jake Cohen cookbook giveaway. And with that, let's kick off Hanukkah 5782. Kicking things off this holiday season is the very funny, very Jewish comedian, Judy Gold. She returns to the show to help us find modern meaning in this ancient holiday. Where's my fucking latte that I'm trying? I Because I drink black coffee, so anything in it is... Anyway, Judy Gold, welcome back to this freaking show. You know, I love you guys, and I listen to you all the time, and I tell people to listen to you all. I just love you guys, and I can't believe... It's so funny because... I met you in person and I hear your voices all the time. And then I meet you in person again. And all I can think about is, oh, my God, there's their voices. It's so it's yeah. I and honestly, we, we love you more. No, I love we, you. We don't want to get into that relationship. So, OK, I wanted to talk to you for our Hanukkah episode. I always want to talk to you, but I wanted to talk to you for this episode specifically because I have a thesis of a theory. And that is you are a Hanukkah hero. Me? Yes. And here's why. Leo, I haven't run this by you either. We think about Hanukkah as like lighting candles, getting presents. But if you really think about it, Hanukkah is like a hardcore holiday about the dangers of assimilation and the importance of being proud of being Jewish. Right. And I think of you as like a real proud Jew, a loud and proud Jew. And so if I, like when we were sort of thinking about like, who do we want to talk to for Hanukkah? I was like, I don't want to talk to a rabbi. I don't want to hear about the lessons. I want to like talk to you about 
being like a Jew who drinks black coffee <laughs> and doesn't F with alternative milks. Yeah, I can't. Um, <laughs> I love that. Well, my my family, my parents drank black coffee, obviously because we were kosher. Plus, you know, they, they didn't have the choices then, <laughs> as you know, of these alternative milks. But, you know, I was thinking about Hanukkah, too, because I'm starting to I don't know if it's because I'm getting older, uh, but I'm very open about it's the holiday season, right? <laughs> like, oh, I love the lights and oh, but it really, it's not the Jewish Christmas. You know what I mean? And and this idea that they're married as if Passover and Easter are married, right. but not really, it's complete, you know. But when you think about it, we were going back home, you know? They destroyed the temple and we're, go yes, Judah Maccabee. Right, it's a holiday of a bunch of bearded zealots who right. slaughtered <laughs> everyone who didn't agree with them right. and, you know, reinstated the temple. And if we spread the word, you know, maybe people would understand Jews a little more. And thank you. That is the sweetest thing ever. What's there's the, the mensch on the bench season? and then there's Judy Gold. What's the holiday season like <laughs> for you? Well, what do you feel? What do here you it is. Here's the holiday season for me. It's like, Christmas party, you know, every comedy club has a Christmas party or holiday parties. And it's like, all I do is hang out in clubs and hang around with other comedians. And now we're going to have a party and hang out in a club with other comedians who are drunk or drunker. <laughs> um, and I do get to do, a, I'm going to do a show at Stand Up New York on Christmas Day. I mean, I've done Kung Pao Kosher Comedy, which is in San Francisco. I think I've done it more than anyone else. Lisa Godaldig started this years ago and there's Chinese food and shows everywhere. So we're going to do it at Stand Up New York because Christmas is on a Saturday. But for me, you know, there's none of that real commerce and expecting, oh my God, all these expectations that don't get fulfilled that like Christians have, you know, where it's like supposed to be happy I love Hanukkah. <laughs> you know, I I look forward to Hanukkah. I do I do want to say that I have been stopped at the airport for my menorah and my luggage because <laughs> if I if I've been on the road during Hanukkah, I carry this little metal, and and it's like, what is that? I'm like, really? I'm gonna kill someone with the menorah? You know? And I guess if you when you ask me that question, I'm confused because Hanukkah is November 28th. Right. And so you're saying, what is my season? It's like, this is the most annoying thing. Hanukkah's November 28th, which means it ends when? Uh, December 5th or, or 6th? Exactly. People will say happy Hanukkah <laughs> during Christmas mm -hmm. to me. And I'm like, it's over. <laughs> it's done. We already had it. Right. You don't have, like, it's that kind of thing of calling people out. But I do work a lot. People are drunk. People are partying. But who the hell knows with this COVID? You're like, don't you know it's not Kislev anymore? Come right, on. right. Come on, man. Right. But maybe it's good this year that it's like basically on Thanksgiving. Right. right. So Hanukkah starts Thanksgiving weekend and tying those two holidays together where you're like, oh, family, a meal, none of the like. And now we can eat fried food. Yeah. So we've already gained 70 pounds it's from perfect. the turkey. And let's eat some fried potatoes and jelly donuts. I'll confess, like, I, I come from a from, from the desert country yes. uh, of the Jews where all we saw on TV is like, the Christmas special. I'm an absolute sucker. I do go around being like, oh, things, oh, will, I be, do too. things I mean, will be good for me this year. I'm a total But it's insulin. Christmas. It's not Hanukkah. Right. Well, it's Christmas. Yeah. I'm, but I'm it's a like Christmas there's fanatic. this cheeriness. Right. But you know, the thing about <laughs> it is 
it always, like every Jewish, it's sort of like a Jewish holiday season because it's like happy, happy, and then complete depression. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> complete misery. Oh my God, it's January. <laughs> but every Christmas song was written by a Jew. I mean, Jews appreciate the holiday season. You know, it's like, oh, this is fun. Like you look at it yeah, because, as- Because we get oh, royalties. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> It's interesting that Hanukkah is not a major holiday, but it was made major by this conspicuous consumption, right? And that it is an opportunity to teach people, actually, you know, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, major, Passover, major, Shabbat, the majorist, not a big one. You guys yeah. did this, you know, uh, but the eight presents, no, I never got eight presents one every night. Did you? I mean, I don't even think we got one, honestly. Presents were for on like Rosh Hashanah and on, on Pesach. I, I don't honestly. I don't remember. By the way, ever I want to start instituting Passover presents. I think right. that's the thing I should be receiving. Definitely um, for the if you come on. I mean, I mean, look. The problem is like 10. night six. You're like, here's a sock. I know. It's like, what day do I give yeah. a good present? <laughs> here's like a new pen. There's two thoughts, right? One is that actually the Jews who made these songs sort of contributed to the commercialization of Christmas, right. which then kind of screwed us over because we got looped into it as Hanukkah observers. But at the same time, I think I fall under the like, keep Christ in Christmas. Because like the more religious the holiday right. that is, the less it encroaches on our I say Merry world. Christmas to everyone. Never happy holidays. Right. I love yeah. saying Merry Christmas. Yeah, I love I, it. I know, but it, I kind of get annoyed when people say it to me. Isn't that bad? Really? I'm just like... Say more about this, yeah. We live in New York City. You know what I mean? You're like, we're in Zabar. We're, we're all right. heathens. Come on now. I'm buying a challah, okay? <laughs> Look at me. It's like Shlomo. We it's, go to the same shul, you know, right? I don't know. I feel like, you know, it pings me a little bit. It's like you're you're assuming something. But if you say Merry Christmas, then you're falling into that taking Christ out of Christmas. Do you mean Merry Christmas like, oh, Merry Times? Yeah, I think so. But like, I don't want someone to say Happy Holidays to me. Because I'm like, just wish me a Merry Christmas because that's what you want to do. And you're saying Happy Holidays to like accommodate me. But like you're saying, you don't need someone to say Happy Hanukkah to you three weeks later. Right. That's why Happy Holidays. Yeah, you're right. I, think, I don't know. You're, you're making me think. Well, which is what no, you're I'm sorry. At. It's too no, early for that. No, but I'm just saying like if you say Merry Christmas, you're falling into that, right? That's true. I'm perpetuating. But so here's the thing. I once lived in a building and this, I was doing my laundry in the basement on New Year's Day and the super was down there and he was like, Happy New Year. And he's like, wait, do you celebrate New Year's? Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. I was like, yes. I was like, one. So yes, in Tishrei. Don't yeah. you know anything? I was like, one, I should not have married someone with the last name Cohen. Otherwise, right. you maybe wouldn't have known uh, that I was Jewish. I guess maybe right. I, maybe it's the uh, Okay, Mizzouza. he would have known. He would have known. He looked at me. <laughs> First, I was like, oh, yeah, no, no. Yes, I, I do. We do. Yes, I acknowledge like right. the, the beginning of the calendar New Year. Right. Um, but then I was like, that is kind of a good question. Like it was first, it like maybe uncomfortable. And then I was like, that's actually very thoughtful. But it's also really weird. But then I'm like, maybe we shouldn't celebrate regular New Year's. You know, that's so interesting. Because I've had people ask me if if Jews celebrate Thanksgiving. And I'm like, no, we're not American. Like, yes, we celebrate Thanksgiving. Like, it really, that (laughs) pissed me off. Do you celebrate Thanksgiving? We don't. Um, we don't and what does that even gratitude? mean, celebrate Thanksgiving? Right. Like have a dinner like, and like yeah, gloss turkey, over some yeah. awkward stuff that happened it, it, in this I country? I mean, it's not even a religious holiday. Okay. I love that you say this about New Year's because, <laughs> yes, I, first of all, my partner, Elisa's birthday is New Year's Eve. So what's great about it is I've always hated New Year's Eve because right. I think it's so, can I curse on this? Yes, please. please. Fucking stupid. <laughs> 
It's like you're changing the calendar. You're like, it's so stupid. Let's party. Oh my God, it's a new year. No, nothing's changing tomorrow morning, you know? So I, I guess you're it, an accountant. I mean, right. seriously, that's the only class right, of people right. for whom that, this means anything. Right, because her father called her the tax deduction well, for they, many years. <laughs> and for a comic, New Year's Eve is the worst. I mean, you get yes, you get paid more money, but it is like worse than Purim with the noisemakers <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, and they're all wasted. And it's like, it's just a lot of screaming. But I have to say, Rosh Hashanah, during the high holidays, I really feel, and during those 10 days of introspection and celebration and family, I feel like, yes, we're beginning a new year. I don't feel that. Course, you know, because no joke. I mean, if you want people to feel the magnitude of, of the new year, here's what you say. God has a book of the people who are going to die in right. this year. <laughs> Happy New Year. Right, right, <laughs> and you're right. like, oh my God. Like, it's it really me. I mean, it's it's a it's terror but and it joy together. But it forces you, it forces you to acknowledge time. Yep. And what you did with that time. And that is what New Year should be. Some sort of, okay, I had these goals. I didn't accomplish them. It's a new begin. It's like a forced new beginning, you know? And I think that Jews don't take that for granted. And I have to tell you, you know, we're talking about Hanukkah and people not knowing anything about it and not acknowledging it. But there's so many people who are texting me or sending me emails. And I'm like, no. And oh, you're not allowed to. I don't talk to you on Christmas. That's the other thing about Christmas. Everything shuts down. Well, now there's things open. But, you know, no, no business on Christmas. All right. I never thought about this. Right. Yeah. Hanukkah, everyone's like, oh, hey, could you uh, do this thing? It's like, it's right. And Rosh Hashanah, too. Right. And Yom Kippur. I'm like, it's. No. Well, you know, we had an interesting conversation with um, Alex Edelman, another great. I love yes, Alex. He's the best. And he, we were sort of saying, like, do you get mad ever about, like, comics who were like, oh, oi, bagel, and then, like, that's it? Like, who don't really, like, walk the walk in any way and don't really talk, sort of, like, use Judaism shit. as yeah. a punchline. Right. And I'm curious, do you feel the same way? Because you're when you talk about being Jewish, it's in a really thoughtful way. Like, he said he wishes there was more comedy about the way Jewishness affects people's lives as opposed to like, boy, I'm Jewish. Right. That's interesting. I, you know, I, I've gotten to the point where any acknowledgement on stage to me, you know, and when someone says I am Jewish, I am thankful for that. That's so depressing, but so right. true. Right. Wow. So, uh, Hold on. I, I need to hear more about this because you're in comedy. I'm you in comedy. Think it would but be you so know, rare. I, I have to tell you, any acknowledgement to me is so important because when you laugh with someone, when you see a comedian and the comedian makes you laugh, you automatically love them, right? You're always like, oh, I love this person because they're making me laugh. And then when they say they're Jewish, oh, I love, I really connect with someone who is a Jew. And I think that's the power of comedy because there's, look, Seinfeld never said, they never said they were Jewish, never. It's like, you're Jewish. You're so Jew. Everything about this is Jewish. Please, George is Italian. <laughs> right. This is the problem with, the, you know, when you say I shout and shout and shout. I am so proud to be a Jew. I really am. I feel so lucky. The history, the bonding between Lador Vador, you know, the generation. And yes, the trauma has been, you know, passed down. But the recipes, the fact that every holiday, every food we eat has a story. And I, I just was talking, uh, did you have Jay Cohen on? He's on this same episode. Oh my God. It's Bechert. 
I love Jake Cohen so He's much. Amazing. And he just did my podcast. And the thing that makes me want to cry about him is when, you know, he takes these recipes and they're such, they're, they're evidence of yeah. being kicked out of every country. That there's an herb that, oh, well, we were here for a few years. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where that was put into the chillin. And then we moved here because they hated us and kicked us out. So then we added this ingredient. And, you know, it's like, yes, Jews get their DNA done. But we don't really have to because there's so many stories that we name people after the dead, which makes us talk about and keep that person's, you know, soul right. or aura or whatever alive. You know, we live in never forget. But I feel like we have to remind people, you know, <laughs> to never forget. To never forget. <laughs> I think that you basically confirmed my thesis, I have to say. Modern day Maccabee. Judy Gold, but like, I think we could actually take what you're saying and make Hanukkah much more real for us today, right? Say, Hanukkah is about being proud. It's not about presents. It's not about Christmas. It's about like saying, I'm Jewish. I'm here. I might not be the most religious person. Doesn't even matter, but I'm, I'm proudly right. Jewish. But I'm acknowledging it. It's about acknowledging it. And in your history, there's nothing more beautiful than eight candles in a menorah in front of your window. I mean, it's truly... And just the progression of, oh, I got six more nights. You know, the beauty of that, even when I'm in a friggin' hotel and it's in the sink because I have to go do a show, you know? If, if you travel, you carry a menorah with you. Yeah. That's amazing. That just not, like, gave not me one chills. Of those LED I love menorahs, that. Like an actual oh, menorah. Oh, no, a with... real menorah. No, like burn the hotel down menorah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I put it in the sink because my mother taught me that. But, you know, it's like, you're not going to stop me. And I love that whoever comes in to clean the room, sees this thing and is like, oh, I wonder what that is. You know, when you're with non-Jews, do you think I'm the only Jewish person here? I feel like it's rare. I know it's going to say it's rare that you're not no, with non-Jews. No, no, but I mean, my some of my best friends, yeah. <laughs> like from college, but, uh, you know, and I think it's amazing and it's actually made me more thoughtful about my own Judaism when right. I'm with a bunch of people who are not Jewish. I'm conscious of, it, it, I'm conscious of the fact that I realize that I'm usually with Jews. And that right, makes me right, uncomfortable. Right. I mean, it's this line of work, this this business right. that I'm in. So I'm, but it's I'm, also us. I love non-Jews. And who, who who was it? Was Alex Edelman saying like it's ridiculous? We have a word for Gentiles, right? <laughs> I think that was like one of his bits, right? I feel comfortable around like from Jews, really religious, judgy Jews <laughs> who are like, you should blah blah blah. Why are you wearing blah blah? You know, and then a non-Jews where you want to be like, no, I'm Jewish. Uh, you know, like. I guess that's what assimilation is like because I'm always aware if I'm the only Jew. Right. And I think that that was handed down from my parents. You're thoroughly unassimilated. I fucking love that. Hanukkah hero. And it's funny because I know you have to wrap it up because I don't shut up. But last weekend, my sister-in-law who lives in Scottsdale, we were walking down the street on the Upper West Side and I said, what does it feel like knowing that 70% of the people who are walking by you are Jewish? You know, and she said, feels pretty good. You know, I feel safer, even though we're less safe. You know? I do. See, I don't have a perspective on this because this is, this is. I the, know, you're so. This, this, is, I this know. is built. I mean, this is Zionism's accomplishment, right? It's like, of course they are. What else right. would they be? Because I don't, I mean, even when they're not, they are. Right. Even the non-Jews are Jews. Right, right, are yeah. Jewish. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, everyone carries a Zabar's bag up here. Right. Everyone, no matter where you go. I love Zabar's. I'm going there right now, actually. Judy McAvee, oh, it I is love you. 
Such a treat. Oh my God. As always. I love you. I will do anything for you guys. I love this podcast. So, okay, you're a podcaster. Like, where we can where can we find you? Where can we listen to you? Plug everything. Where are we gonna find you this this holiday season? Where are we? This holiday season, let me tell you a little bit where I'm gonna be. This Christmas, the twenty-fifth, I am doing uh, a show here at Stand Up New York, and we're gonna there's a Chinese restaurant across the street. Instead of going to a movie. Come laugh and eat Chinese food and laugh at Jewish jokes and then go to the movie afterwards. So that's on the 25th. The I will be at the Savor Theater in Fort Lauderdale at the Raz Room on the 4th. I don't know whatever. what else I have. I have therapy. <laughs> you <laughs> you will be at therapy. Every Monday at 1030. At, at Dr. Epstein's <laughs> office. <laughs> Um, my podcast, Kill Me Now, wherever pod... Go to my website, judygold.com. And then, of course, on Twitter and Instagram, I'm Judy Gold, J-E-W-D-Y, gold. Nice. Never gets old. And yeah, buy my book for Hanukkah gift. I just signed some at Barnes & Noble on the Upper West Side because I walked in, I said, do you want me to sign my books? And they said, sure. Yes, I can say that. Judy Gold, Kill Me Now, everything... Yeah, go everything to my you do, we love. Just, I love you guys. I, I love. This is such a treat. I could talk about being Jewish, you know, all day long. I mean, you kind of do. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so Thank you so much. Happy Hanukkah. Happy holiday. Happy Merry happy Christmas. Hanukkah. Merry Christmas. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy Hanukkah. Diwali. Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. Join us at 7 p.m. for a conversation with cast members from Prayer for the French Republic, the Tony Award-nominated Best Play. Tony nominee Betsy Adam and fellow cast members Francis Benhamou, Ethan Haberfield, and Ari Brand will take part in a lively discussion moderated by the New York Times' Mark Tracy. They'll talk about the play's themes of Jewish identity, French culture, and Zionism in times of rising anti-Semitism. This event is part of 14Y's spring season of Jewish culture. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streetwide.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y. Hey, J. Crew! it is time for some pod biz. Tonight, May 16th, I will be moderating a Zoom conversation with Rabbi Sharon Browse and Shai Held about each of their new books. That's at 6 p.m. Eastern and the final event in my Unpacking the Book series with the Jewish Book Council and the Jewish Museum. This one's on Zoom, so no matter where you are, I hope you can make it. And tonight is actually a doubleheader for me. If you're in the New York area, I'll be at the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan at 7.30 tonight in conversation with Israeli rapper and singer Jimbo J. He'll be performing and there will be delicious Israeli food from Chef Mushka, who made the famous Horosets at our Passover pop-up. You can find links to register for both of those events at tabletmag.com slash unorthodoxlive. We also have some great events coming up for Tablet members in person and on Zoom. On May 16th, Catherine Wolf will be in conversation with Jews who refuse to back down against hostile crowds in various arenas, from municipal buildings, school board meetings, and of course, college campuses. She'll be talking with Club Z's Masha Merkalova, Safe CUNY's Avraham Goldstein, Attorney John Kovac, Mel Waldorf, Steve Goldberg, and UNC Chapel Hill student Daniel Stumpel. 
Also coming up, a warm and intimate Zoom for those who have lost friendships since October 7th. That's on May 21st and will be a great chance to connect and meet new people. And on May 30th, an in-person tablet meetup in Washington, D.C., hosted by Tablet's executive editor Wayne Hoffman and Catherine Wolf. That'll be at Charbar at 6 p.m. You can become a Tablet member at tabletm.ag slash UO member and get more information about all of these events. Okay, back to the show. Westy is a Sephardic singer who writes and performs songs in Ladino, the Judeo-Spanish dialect. She returns to the show to share some of her latest work, including her musical tribute to the lost Sephardic community of the town of Monastir in North Macedonia. She also has an album of Ladino Hanukkah songs out this week, and we'll hear a bit of that as well. and it's so nice to be here. I am a Ladino singer and a songwriter, and I'd like to think of myself as an educator activist to share the gospel that Ladino rocks. It really is such a special part of Jewish culture, and you know, for such a long time, people really didn't know anything about it. They still don't. It is a language that binds together Sephardic Jews who left Spain in 1492 and dispersed primarily along the Mediterranean basin and North Africa. And that language is at its core Castilian Spanish, but it is combined with bits and pieces of French, Italian, Portuguese, Greek, Turkish, Arabic, and Hebrew. By nature, by being this language that binds us, it also is a culture that has defined Sephardic Jewry in the Eastern Mediterranean and the Ottoman Empire for the last 500 plus years. My grandfather was born in the Ottoman Empire in what is today North Macedonia. But at the time, it was a town called Monastir, today known as Bitola. But Monastir was a very, very well-known city for its Sephardic population, akin to its larger, more well-known neighbor, Salonika. Ladino was the spoken language at home. It wasn't passed down to me, which is why I always felt like I was missing out on something. It's a very typical immigrant story. My grandfather, his family, they were escaping war. They were escaping in 1912, 1913 from the Balkans when the Ottoman Empire collapsed. And they came to America and they wanted to become American. They wanted to assimilate quickly into their new culture. So sadly, the language was not passed on and certain customs were not passed on. But I still grew up in a very, very proud Sephardic family. As I got older, I learned about Ladino, and I, at age 13, I knew that I was going to be a singer. I demanded that my first performance of Ladino music would be singing the Ladino Ein Kelohenu at my bat mitzvah. 
Ain kalo heinu, ain kadoneinu, ain kimokeinu, ain kimoshiein. That was like my first Ladino performance, and it really meant something to me, actually, to sing a song in Ladino for my bar mitzvah. Non como nuestro dio is how we say it. Non como nuestro dio, non como nuestro señor, non como nuestro rey, non como nuestro salvador. Now it's become popular in a lot of synagogues. I trained very seriously in Western classical music, and I would be singing all the time in my room, in the kitchen, in the car, on the playground. My mom would always be telling me to shut up because I was singing so much. No, just no. I went to Yale and I studied at the Yale School of Music. And at Yale, I spent a summer in Israel. And it just so happened that my opera coach was the great late Nico Castell, one of the most famous Ladino singers. In between our opera coachings, he started teaching me the very classical Ladino repertoire. This was like completely revelatory for me. I clearly was singing the music in a different way that, you know, touched me and touched the audience because I connected to it more than, you know, no offense, Mozart, but it was so obvious that I cared about the Ladino music more. And it took a couple of years, but eventually I made the switch full time. I was very vocal talking about my family history. I I really, really wanted to explore my history of Monastir in what is today Macedonia. Somebody in Macedonia contacted me on Facebook and asked if he could do an interview. It gets published. And before I know it, I'm getting all of these Facebook friend requests from people all over Macedonia saying, oh, I hear that you're from Vitsula. That's the contemporary name of Monastir. They would start asking me questions about my Jewish heritage. And I thought, oh, this is this is sweet. This is cute. So a couple of years later, I was invited to sing in Bulgaria, which is, if you know your geography, <laughs> right next to Macedonia. And I actually contacted one of those Facebook friends And I said, okay, I'm going to be in Bulgaria. How crazy is it for me to think about coming over to to Bitula? And they said, oh my gosh, it's so close. We'll plan the whole trip. We'll make it happen. A few months later, a group of these random Facebook friends had arranged my entire trip from my transportation to my lodging, to all my meals, to a sold out concert. Like literally every single detail of this trip was mapped out by these random people on Facebook. I arrived, my feet hit the soil in Bitsula, and the very first thing that happened is I was greeted by this group of people with flowers in hand. I mean, it was like literally a red carpet was rolled out for me. They whisked me away. The very first place they took me was to the cemetery. Now, the cemetery is the oldest Jewish cemetery in the Balkans. I saw these beautiful gravestones, some of which had my family's last name on it. But 
what they also wanted to show me was the not so beautiful gravestones that it was really abandoned because there are no Jews left. Like 98% of the Jewish population was massacred in Macedonia in my grandfather's town of, of Bitola or Monastir as it was called. 98%. That's a higher percentage than any place in Europe. Not the highest number, the highest percentage, 98%. And that is what has really stuck with me my whole life. And the people in Macedonia today, they know that. And they have lovingly, as volunteers, they have been restoring this synagogue and making it their passion projects to raise money and efforts and and volunteer groups to come fix the cemetery, to clean it, to work with Israeli groups to help translate the gravestones because obviously, you know, everything is in Hebrew for the most part and they can't understand it themselves. So there have been these incredible projects and alliances with groups in Israel to restore the cemetery, but it has started with the citizens, the current day citizens in Bitola everybody who I met, they had a story to tell me about their grandparents who were neighbors with Jews and everybody wanted to share their stories. It was like a daughter of Monastir was coming home. I had another big concert. And that night we had an after party on the rooftop of a very, very famous old hotel called Hotel Epinal. And somebody took a picture that was shared with me that night. And in this one snapshot, you could see Jews Christians, Muslims, Macedonians, Israelis, and myself singing and dancing together on this rooftop. And I saw that picture and I said, that's it. Like that was my aha moment. I had to do something to harness that energy. And so I turned to two of the musicians who I had been singing and dancing with on that rooftop. And I said, let's do something about this. And over the course of the next year, I decided to create an album as an homage to the Jewish community that had lived there prior to to World War II. I wanted to do it jointly with Macedonians and Israelis. So half of the songs are in Macedonian, half of the songs are in Ladino. And even the songs that are in Macedonian, they reference the Jewish community that once lived there, which I just think is fascinating that we have records of these songs. For example, a well-known one is called Ednovreme Sibev Ergen, and it's literally about a bachelor who is strolling the streets of Bitsula, and he is clearly not Jewish. He is a Christian, and he finds himself, he winds up in a Jewish neighborhood and finds a lovely Jewish girl. And this song is all in Macedonian. And in the song, he goes up to the Jewish girl and asks her, tries, he tries to convince her to become uh, a Slovak. I just think as a historical record that in song, we have this story of the cultures that are living next to each other and, and how they navigated that, I just think is fascinating. I wrote two songs on this album. One is called Mi Monastir, which is very personal. 
It's about the memories that were shared with me from my grandfather. And truly the the main inspiration in my life for this project is my cousin, Rochelle Nachmias, who is 104 years old. And she is one of the 2% who survived. So much of what I do is for her and for the memory of her family. And I am so blessed to have her many stories. She shared with me some very specific memories. For example, her family, when they were taken away on March 11th, 1943, her neighbors knew that the mezuzah was such an important item and symbol for Jewish families that her neighbor took the mezuzah off the door to save in the hopes that maybe one day she would see the family again and be able to return it. Of course, the whole family was killed, but when Rochelle returned, the neighbor found her and gave her back the mezuzah. I have held that mezuzah in my hands and I've seen it and it is just you know, you, you can't not be affected when, you, when you're holding that. And so this song has a lot of the symbolism from, from my family. So this project, it really just shows that collaboration and, and dialogue across these borders can really create something beautiful and new, that it's a tragic, tragic story of what happened. And yet we are still singing these songs and we are still working together and creating, you know, beauty and joy through music and through these new friendships. Any proceeds from concerts and and, what comes of this project, we want to then put back into some of the projects happening on the ground that are initiated by the citizens of Bitola, for example, to restore the cemetery, to create more exhibits and museums about Jewish culture in Macedonia. So it's all to help enrich the preservation efforts that are happening there. IRSD's new Hanukkah album features Ladino favorites like Ocho Candelicas and new songs like this one, Fiesta de Hanukkah. Bendicho tu Adonai, nuestro Dios, Rey del mundo, que nos santificó con sus encomendanzas y nos encomendó. For more music from Sarah Arawesti, check out sarahawesti.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-A-R-O-E-S-T-E.com. If you've been in Bed Bath & Beyond or Target recently and seen Hanukkah merchandise that makes absolutely no sense, you're not alone. Rachel Kenneth created the Instagram account Hanukkah Fails to document these truly terrible attempts at holiday consumerism. We are here on Zoom with Rachel Kenneth, the mastermind behind my favorite Instagram account, 
Hanukkah fails. Rachel, welcome to Unorthodox. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. So tell us about the origin of this. How, how does one, you know, sit in the dark and stormy night and decide, you know, it'd be funny. A Hanukkah fails Instagram account. Uh, to give like a little bit of context. So I grew up um, pretty religious, conservative, but kept kosher, all of that um, in North Florida. So like I was very Jewish in a place that's Jewish. Every year, you know, we'd have like the the one little tiny end cap at the grocery store that they put like matzah instead of latkes and things like that for Hanukkah. And my family just kind of like got a kick out of it. And I will say like, doesn't make me angry or anything. Um, I just, I think it's genuinely funny. And so last year I was like, I don't know, doing my Hanukkah shopping and started finding all of the garbage that you find every year for Hanukkah. It's like everything misspelled and incorrect. And so I just started kind of like screenshotting it and putting it on my personal Instagram account and kind of like educating some of my non-Jewish friends about like why this stuff is so bad. And they're like, you need to put this, you need to make an Instagram account, you need to put this on Facebook. So last year I actually made this like monster Facebook post that was just like a ton of this stuff that I had marked up, like correcting all of it. And it went somewhat viral. My husband said it blew up the Jewish internet, um, but it it didn't really. But, you know, it got a, a lot of traction. So this year I was like, oh, I'll put this all into an Instagram account and we'll just have fun like all season long. And so honestly, it just comes out of me like laughing so you don't cry at all of the stupid stuff that's out there. So could you give us a sense of what, you know, this is obviously a visual medium that you're doing. Could you give us a sense of some of the stuff that you've come across? I imagine now people are sending it to you. Like, what is what are some of the things that that people are responding to? Yeah, so I, people really love when things are, the holidays are mixed up. So like the most, I, I think the thing that's been most popular this year, and I'm not the only person who has shared this, has been the Bed Bath & Beyond pillow that says, why this is this night different from all other nights? And then it says, happy Hanukkah. And so it's like so clearly wrong mixing Passover and Hanukkah. I, I crave that pillow. Haven't been able to find it. I really want it. Um, They just started selling it at Michael's. So I guess like Michael's missed it when when everybody got mad at Bed Bath & Beyond and you can buy it at Michael's now, but it's $45. And I think that's the most offensive part about it. So. <laughs> it's basically <laughs> it's, a hate It's not crime. even a multiple of 18. I mean, at least exactly. it should be $36. Well, I, I mean, I wouldn't really expect them to know the multiples of 18 if they're putting like a Passover sitting on a Hanukkah pillow. But um, but that's been really, uh, that's been popular. People love it when the letters are wrong on the dreidel. So sometimes it'll just be like somebody flipped an image. So the letters are backwards. Um, but sometimes it's like a letter that's not even in the Hebrew alphabet. It's just like a mark on a dreidel. And I think those are my personal favorites because it's like, it's such a, a very easy Google search to figure out what those letters are supposed to be. So, um, yeah, so those are the things I think people respond to the most. But at this point, like, those are the things people send me the most. So I'm looking as, like, deep as I can for the weirdest things that are out there. And that's the part that's giving me a lot of joy. Is, like, I've seen most of the wrong things now. Now I'm just looking for, like, the weirdest thing I can find. Well, so actually my favorite category, I will say, is... I don't even know how to describe this properly, but it's basically... Christian items with with Judaism grafted onto them, like the um, the house flag, like the flag that says "Wish you a blessed Yom Kippur." Now, this one actually has everything because there is a menorah on there also. But like, "Wish you a blessed Yom Kippur." That makes no sense. Like, there's it's it's so 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 funny. It's like this this deeply Christian thing of like stockings and all this stuff, and then like someone's just like, "Let's make a Jewish one. Let's make a Jewish like Hanukkah gnome." Deck the halls with matzah balls. 
Guys, no. This one bothers me a lot on a few levels. So it's not just the deck, the halls, which is definitely not Hanukkah. And I've gotten criticism for this, but I'm a purist. Matzo balls are for Passover. I don't eat matzo <laughs> balls on Hanukkah. I know some people eat them year round, but like to me, that like ruins it. Like I wait all year until Passover so I can enjoy matzo ball soup. And so the like putting matzo balls on everything, I that one really bothers me. And there's like matzo man, matzo matzo man. That's supposed to be like macho man is out there too. Rachel, do you do you? feel any joy on Hanukkah? Are you capable of being happy on this holiday? Or or is this Instagram account ruined Hanukkah for you? No, you know, what's really funny is I, it's weird that I'm even doing this because I'm a very like simple, traditional Hanukkah person. So like, I really look forward to lighting the menorah, eating some really good latkes, opening a very modest present. And like, and I love that. I love Hanukkah, but like, we know it's not a really big, important holiday. And so like, it, it can't be spoiled for me because to me, there's like no way to spoil Hanukkah. Like, keep it simple. Enjoy your latkes. Like, there's, You're saying the expectations are so low that there's no way My expectations are very low. I'm expecting a pair of really nice, warm socks. I just moved to New York. I need warm socks. It's the traditional gift. Like, that. I have very low stakes, so I don't think you can ruin those, it for those me. Those socks would say, Happy Shmini Atzeret to you. I mean, to be honest, there are so many holidays. I'm surprised Michael's and Bed Bath & Beyond are not like really going all in on all of them. Yeah, you know, I'm glad they haven't though. I think I actually would, I would be a grumpy person if they tried to really like monetize and like profit off of like Rosh Hashanah or like that's why that Yom Kippur flag is so funny because like you would never put a flag in your yard for Yom Kippur. (laughs) Like I actually want the flag to put in my yard because I think it's so (laughs) absurd. Like who would do that? Who would be like, happy Yom Kippur and put like a festive flag in their yard? I really hope they never get to that point. So Rachel, one of the sort of like the main points of contention and like things that I think a lot of Jews have embraced is the ugly Christmas sweater for Hanukkah. So you are wearing what appears to be a happy Hanukkah sweater. Is that correct? I am. And um, it is. What I love about this is that I bought this sweatshirt. I actually borrowed it back from my dad. I bought the sweatshirt for him for Hanukkah. And after he put it on, noticed that it has the seven branch menorah, <laughs> not the nine. And I was like, no, <laughs> I fell victim to the thing that I keep making fun of. So I, yeah, I had to put it on um, just just for you. But I mean, it's everywhere. And honestly, you could very easily accidentally buy something that's that's wrong. So I think actually the best part, and my dad would kill me, but the best part about this sweatshirt is I borrowed it back from him and there's a mustard stain on it. And I think that's the most Jewish old man thing that that's, I could possibly that's think of. old Jew. <laughs> peak old Jewish man. So, when when mean, him and Bernie went over to the deli <laughs> to have lunch and then complain about it. So Rachel, before we let you go back to cataloging the, the best of the worst of the catalogs, um, what, what's your Hanukkah plan? What are you doing? And what will you be decorating with? Decorations, I, I'm going to pull out my, I have literally a shoebox that has a menorah, candles, and a banner. I'm going to pull all that out and put it up. Um, but I did indulge this year and I bought myself a new Hanukkah sweatshirt that says, <laughs> Happy Honk, and it's H-O-N-K, and it's a goose wearing a yarmulke. <laughs> Uh, let me conclude this interview with the traditional Hanukkah greeting. Have yourself a merry little Hanukkah. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say Dayenu. Dayenu. 
<laughs> Even better. I hope you have a really blessed holiday, a blessed day of atonement, um, <laughs> all of that. And may you fellowship with all of your favorite uh, brothers and sisters in faith. Yes, <laughs> Rachel, thank you so much for being on Unorthodox. Thank you. I really appreciate it. This was fun. Follow the worst of the worst at Hanukkah Fails on Instagram. Jeremiah Lockwood is a musician whose influences range from Jewish cantorial music to Piedmont blues. He has a new album called A Great Miracle, Jeremiah Lockwood's guitar soli Hanukkah record, which he shares with us today. My name is Jeremiah Lockwood. I'm a musician and a scholar who studies Jewish music. I've been at this routine for a long time. My family are in Jewish music. My grandfather was a a very well-known cantor. Cousins are cantors, uncles. Uh, It's a musical family, and I grew up in the middle of it. And I sought and found and messed around with different ways of bringing the, the family legacy into my music and you know, very heavily inspired by my grandfather and also with the work my dad did, who's a composer who brought Jewish music ideas into his music. And I started a rock band called The Sway Machinery, where I was singing Ashkenazi liturgical music in contexts that are not native to that music and had some successes with that and worked it as, uh, as best I could and continue to, to work that, that part of my life. The record I just finished is called A Great Miracle. And it focuses on Hanukkah, on the music I grew up with for the the holiday. But it's also kind of an Americana folk guitar record, directly inspired by John Fahey's The New Possibility, which is a a Christmas record on which he plays very beautiful, very uh, gentle, subtle interpretations of the Christmas classics, reinterpreted as country blues guitar etudes. Part of the thing that's wonderful about the record is how it reworks the meaning of the holiday. The text that he's reinterpreting is so well known to everybody, you can really hear his musical thoughts in this very kind of naked way. For example, Green Sleeves, one of the best known melodies in the world. turns it into this kind of bone-rattling evocation of something dark, mysterious, an attractive, unknown, off in the distance, lights shining through. I think I'm trying to get at something not exactly the same, but something similar with, with my record. When I went to try to do something inspired by by Fahey's process, but approaching Hanukkah music, the set of memories that I was working with were my childhood family music-making experience, especially around the Hanukkah licht, you know, with my grandparents and all the extended family, where we sang the brachas as kind of like a chorale with everyone harmonizing together. And there was special cantorial repertoire that we, we always sang for the holiday. And these memories are incredibly vibrant and powerful to me, they're, they're kind of missing from the Jewish-American experience, right? The idea of, of Hanukkah as a, a sacred music concert is a big part of an older strand of, of Jewish culture. And in the current moment, you know, Hanukkah is a bit of a, um, 
you know, a bit of a wash as a, as a musical holiday, right? Or it gets, it gets kind of a lightweight treatment. It's treated as something that's mostly for children. And I'm trying to find in this repertoire something that can work as, a, as an art experience, something can, that can work as a, an evocation of multiple musical worlds that I love and that I feel close kinship with. I'll take you out on Ritual, which is the first track on the record. This is the most nakedly theatrical piece on the record, where I'm just reenacting the way we did it back at home when I was a kid, where we're singing the brachas, and it's kind of got an austerity, but it's also incredibly nostalgic and sweet, and it builds over the course of the ritual. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to share that memory with people. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure talking to you. about the record, I would love for you to check it out. You can go to the website of Reboot, which produced the record, which is putting out the album, and that's rebooting.com. There are going to be record release events in New York, Los Angeles, and San Francisco Bay Area in the coming weeks, and uh, if you, those are your hometowns for people listening, I would love to see you there. is a chef, food writer, and self-proclaimed NJB, or Nice Jewish Boy. This year, he released one of my favorite cookbooks, Jewish, Reinvented Recipes from a Modern Mensch. It features recipes like shakshuka olive vodka, kugel and cheese, kubana cinnamon rolls, saffron chicken soup, and more. Jake Cohen, welcome to Unorthodox. Hello. Long long time caller, first time, what is it? What's the saying? Long time listener, first time caller. There we go. I thought you were going to say long time since we last Zoomed, but I think we Zoomed for Passover when your cookbook Jewish came out. You were pregnant. This was pre-baby. That's true. <laughs> and you had just, you know, birthed your cookbook. So your baby was out into the world. Yes. What's life been like for you since then? Because your cookbook, I mean, a New York Times bestseller. I mean, you've been everywhere. You're on Drew Barrymore, Katie Couric. Like, you're you're all over the place. It's been amazing. It's been a dream. I, I think it's everything that I had imagined for the book. I don't think it is what everyone else imagined for the book, especially my publisher. But they were definitely quite pleased that everything kind of went along with my fantasy. My favorite thing about the book, which the subtitle is Reinvented Recipes from a Modern Mensch. I mean, you really do a good job of taking classic recipes and just like putting these really, really creative spins on it. So can you tell us about a few of your favorite recipes from the book? People love the subtitle. They love this kind of focus on, on the departure from the classics. But I think that's also how so many Jewish households celebrate every holiday. Everyone has their own particular way that their family makes X. And I wanted to highlight the perspective of my family, my husband's family. I would say like 
adding saffron to my latkes is one of my favorite things ever. Pumpkin spice babka, obviously, since we're in the fall season, is amazing. It's actually a recipe I started for Thanksgiving many years ago. And it was kind of like now perfect because Hanukkah is coming so early. So I feel like it's a good double hitter injection of Judaism into your Thanksgiving table. The fun part is, is that there's no one perspective. My household is such a blend of Ashkenazi and Mizrahi traditions and flavors that I wanted it to be reflected in this book. And it's going to be something that a lot of people will relate to. A lot of people will find new and exotic. And for so many other people, they have their own particular combination of cultures in their own household that they get to celebrate too. You know, you say it's these sort of departures from the classic, but it is so deeply and profoundly Jewish. I know the title is Jewish, Jew dash ish. Um, and you basically embrace a lot of different cultures and things like that. But there's something so like in your face Jewish about it and about you too. I mean, you go on TV and you wear your nice Jewish boy sweater. And so we are here for Hanukkah. And the theme of this episode is basically the theme of Hanukkah, right? Which is like the fight against assimilation, the, the importance of being a loud and proud Jew. And, and you do that so well. So when did you decide that that was going to be so much a part of what you do? You've been in the food world before. When did you sort of like lean into your Jewishness? It started when I, I started writing about Jewish food. First time I was working at Sever and I did a piece on a Rosh Hashanah apple cake for my family. And it's the first time that I really, I felt myself in my work. I felt represented. I felt like I was adding something to the conversation about food and it wasn't kind of coming from anywhere else. A lot of people just aren't doing that. I think I lean in harder and and the idea of me showing up on, on national television wearing a, a Star of David necklace and a sweater that's really in your face Jewish is because the response I've gotten from this book, it's all positive, but you have to remember that for so many of these outlets, I get interviewed and even though the writers are Jewish, one of the most common questions is, am I going to like move on from Jewish food for the next book? <laughs> like, are you done? Are you, it's like, okay, you got this out of your system. Now, when are you going to do just like a regular Jake book? And I'm trying to make sure that everyone realizes that even a general Jake Cohen cookbook is Jewish because that's who I am and everything in my life. And for so many people, whether you are religious or secular, everything in your life is touched somehow in a small or a big way by Torah and Jewish values. And even though we might not keep kosher anymore, I'm speaking about myself and my family, of course, so many aspects of Jewish law have continued to be part of my family and my upbringing and my relationship with hospitality and my family and neighbors and friends and giving back. And I just don't have that incredible understanding of the connection to Jewish text because it's just how I was raised versus knowing that it's actually generations and generations of a trickle-down kind of education of Jewish learning. And even though we don't still go to temple every Friday, we still are very much a family rooted in Jewish values. And I think that's more common than not. And people just don't know it and or don't want to explore it. And I think the second I started putting two and two together, it's just like, it's all I want to do. The last time we Zoomed, I think we were making some Passover dish. And your your cookbook had just made the New York Times bestseller list. And I remember you were so excited specifically that a Jewish cookbook, not that you had made the Times bestseller list, but but that Jewish was like in the title and in your face. And you kept saying, like, I don't know when this has happened. 
My argument is that the cookbook has been so successful because you've really leaned into that Jewishness and you haven't shied away. I mean, do you feel that that is the case? Yeah, I mean, I think the fact is the book is an extension of myself and it's very authentic and it reads that way and a lot of people relate to it and find this connection to it. And it's not just for Jews. I think that's too often we are told by media, told by society. And and this is an industry that is not foreign to Jews. A lot of Jews work within every sect of the industry. However, there is this overarching mantra that you can't be too Jewish. You think of Seinfeld, you think of the Goldbergs. These are shows that are so Jewish, yet do not say the word Jewish at all. You don't hear the word Jewish in Seinfeld. You hear tons of Yiddish words. You hear you can't beat a baka, all this stuff. But there is no conversation about being Jewish. And for me, I think that we need to go one step further and not only have this representation, but a celebration of it. And I think too often Jewish media is rooted in trauma because we have a lot of it. And I wanted something that was really focused on Jewish joy. And I think that having that at the forefront, having it represented in a way that was flashy and current. I wanted a cookbook that looks just like every other cookbook on my shelf and had the resources for the photography and the styling and the layout to give the same opportunity as, I don't know, every other cuisine that we are celebrating on a day-to-day basis. And that's hopefully what I did. It definitely is what you did. Um, and you make it really easy for people to, to create holiday meals, which I love. So I want to ask you, what are you making for Hanukkah this year? And like, how is Thanksgiving, how is this convergence impacting your menu? It's not, other than the the real ease that you already will gather your family. So everyone who's out of town is flying in for Thanksgiving, and now they're in town for Hanukkah too, which is wonderful because you don't have to book two flights. There's no conversation. I don't think I've ever done Hanukkah with my in-laws before, so this is going to be great to have them around for frying latkes. I do think that it's really important to separate the two holidays because they both have such different meanings. I think the real focus of Thanksgiving is this opportunity to gather your loved ones and put an emphasis on gratitude and giving thanks and reflecting on the past year and planning for the year ahead, very similarly to how I treat Rosh Hashanah, with just a different menu. And then Hanukkah, like you mentioned, it is a fight against assimilation. It's a conversation about being out and proud as a Jew. In the same way that we fight for solidarity with the queer community, with any other marginalized community, it is about being unapologetically yourself and not having to separate or segment parts of your identity for the rest of the world. And I think in terms of the menu, people love to get stressed out of cooking, all the stuff. And at the end of the day, it's like, you don't need to throw a huge Hanukkah feast. You got to fry up some latkes. I I think that it's something that's really easy. Latkes are, Hanukkah is my favorite thing because I just make a a latka bar. I get a bunch of potatoes and onions. Use the food processor if you don't want to grate everything. You fry them up, then you everything else, It's you don't have to cook. You buy the applesauce sour cream. I get a bunch of lox. I get some caviar. I get all of the, the things. And, and you let people snack and nosh 
And you get to to really spend some time being Jewish and posting about it and showing everyone in the world that you're a Jew. And it's all done. And then you get the rest of December to chill out. So it's like, I mean, there's no reason why you can't double time it and knock out both. I'm a glutton for punishment, so I'm cooking all of Thanksgiving and all of Hanukkah, mainly because who else is going to do it? And it's going to be great. The idea that you're not trying to like smush the holidays together and say like, oh, make sweet potato latkes. That's exactly what you're talking about when we talk about Hanukkah, right? Like it's the same message, right? Don't try to make Hanukkah Thanksgiving now just because they fall near each other on the calendar. To me, that is actually like an expression of this Jewish pride and saying like, don't don't forget about the lessons of Hanukkah. Am I reading too much into that? No, you actually aren't. I think that that's, that's everything I do. I get asked by so many different food publications around the holidays to do some kind of Hanukkah video. And the one contingency I have is I talk about the meaning of Hanukkah. And oftentimes they want to keep it very light and very just like, oh, you're just frying stuff. It's the festival of lights and oil and there was a miracle. And and it's like, that's not it. That's not what this is about. And I think there is this oversimplification and this Christmasification of Hanukkah that is just unacceptable. And again, I'm going to wear the Hanukkah sweater, the the ugly Hanukkah sweater, because I think it's fun and kitschy. And I think that it helps gain some eyes on Hanukkah. But if you are not using these opportunities as ways to really talk about the meanings and the values behind what we do, then then you're you're missing out. I love that. You're like, hashtag Hellenization. Exactly. Literally, literally. <laughs> so I want to ask you one more question, which is like, you are very publicly Jewish online and you have a really big Instagram following, a really big TikTok following. What happens when you put some of this Jewish stuff out there? Are you Is it all rave reviews and stuff like that? Or does it get a little dicey on some parts of the internet? The internet is a, it's a scary place. I'd say on TikTok especially, there have been some moments of crazy anti-Semitic comments. That being said, it's also followed with a lot of support and celebration. And you have, I mean, I'm trying to remember the last thing was like Jamie Oliver posted one of my recipes for Passover to help like show solidarity and celebration of the holiday. And you have so many celebrities cooking my recipes for their families at the holidays. And and that's just super special and it makes it all worth it because there's always going to be the hate. That's like not a surprise. I think it's something that we are hopefully working towards less of. But that kind of goes against everything we read in the news right now. But it's not going to stop me. I think too often people are are so worried and they start to see a little bit of hate or a little bit of that. And they're like, oh, well, I'm going to step away from that. I'm just going to give the people what they want. And I've always had this relationship with social media in which I really could not care less what they want, what the internet wants. It's this my channel, my stream of consciousness, and it has to be authentic to that. And I'm a big believer in I don't need or want everyone to like me. I know some people aren't going to like me, and that's fine. At the end of the day, I'm not probably not the the have the biggest fans in the in the super kosher community when they see me on the Today Show making a lock of bacon, egg, and cheese. But at the same time, it's part of the larger conversation of what is Jewish. I mean, bacon, I just did your um, tablets, beautiful 100 Most Jewish Foods puzzle this weekend. Made it with my brother-in-law. And he was like, why is there a thing of bacon on this? This is a little strange. And you have to explain so much of, of Jewish ritual in America and Jewish tradition when it comes to food has evolved. And 
what that looks like here, it's very different than what it looked like in the shtetl. It's very different than what it looks like in the Torah. And it's all part of the fun of Judaism. Jay Cohen, we are so happy that you are you. You are one of our Hanukkah heroes this year. We're just so happy to have you out there as a voice and for making delicious food and helping me make much better food every night almost from your cookbook. That is the goal. That's always the goal. Jay Cohen, happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. For more Jake Cohen, check out wakeandjake.com. We're giving away a signed copy of Jake's amazing cookbook. Enter to win on our unorthodox Instagram or Facebook pages. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Studios and hosted by me, Stephanie Botnick, with Mark Oppenheimer and Liel Leibowitz. Josh Cross produces our show along with Robert Scaramuccia, Sarah Freven Ader, and Quinn Waller. Our episode art is by Esther Werdiger. Our theme music is by the Yiddish punk band Golem. Our gelt maker is Ellen Kahenzager. Our Hanukkah polisher is A.E. Coleman. Rabbinic supervision by Rabbi Jama L. Purser of Beth Israel Roanoke. This episode was recorded at Stand Up New York. Thanks, Donnie. We come to you from the Maccabean home offices of Tablet Studios. Happy Hanukkah, friends. God damn it, Josh.